This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, we're going to do some uh, talk about detection. And I have one of my HITS partners, Andy Wyman, and then one of our uh, very regular HITS vendors from Pacific Coast Canine, uh, Ken Pavlik. Ken's been on the show several times, given some real good feedback. And of course, Andy is one of the HITS partners. So how are you doing today, Andy? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. How about you, Ken? How are things up in Washington State? Doing, doing good, Jeff. The weather's been nice and sunny, no rain. So things are going well, thank you. Good, good. So talking to Andy and uh, Ken, uh, several times over the year, um, we all end up going to different seminars. And I know uh, Andy and Ken have done a couple of scenarios at different seminars where they were teaching together. And they've uh, just in kind of talking to them, they're seeing um, some patterns develop that um, maybe it'd be good to kind of talk about and just bring bring light to, to some of the training that they see. And what's good is that, you know, if you're in a fortune position like we are where you get to go all over the country and see different dogs you see you know training kind of goes sometimes regionally where you know there's real strong training in a region and and people are doing one thing and maybe another region they don't have quite as many uh, resources so they're doing something slightly different and maybe uh, changes here and there but when you go to some of these seminars you see people come from lots of different re- regions and you're you're getting out of those pockets but then you can still sometimes see the same trends and that's kind of what we're talking about today is they're seeing some trends in some uh, detector dog training. So I guess I'll let Andy kind of explain uh, some of the seminar, uh, the scenarios they set up and what, what you were seeing at first. And then Ken, you can jump in and kind of say, you know, what you saw also. So uh, go ahead, Andy. Yeah. Well, uh, essentially what we were doing is doing very basic, easy exercises that uh, were just determining if the handler could read a behavior change and, and if the dog reacted like he was supposed to, and just then giving some, some feedback on what we saw. And uh, right off the bat, and I think Ken will agree, we, the first thing we noticed was uh, handlers were staying very much away uh, from being involved with the dog, which is not terrible. Um, it, it is a way of working that can work very well in specific situations. But once the exercise, once the dog didn't really find the odor right away in the exercise, it was as if the handler didn't know what to do it was as if the handler skills portion of their training was lacking. Either they didn't know or didn't feel like they should get involved or, I don't know, had some advice that said they shouldn't be involved in, in the uh, d- direction of the dog or anything to do with the dog. And, and we were asking questions, and they gave pretty much that feedback, that they were instructed and were given advice to let the dog work on his own as much as possible. And, and while we both, I think Ken will agree with me, they – it's a good technique and a good thing to do on, on a number of occasions. It also can be detrimental in real, some real life settings. And uh, uh, our concern was for them at the time was if you don't practice it, if you don't do it during training, you won't be good at it in real life. Um, you know, if you don't know how to work a dog to not cause a cue, to not cause a problem because you don't practice. Uh, then you're not going to be able to actually deploy in real life reliably as well. Uh, you, you 
will likely develop a problem and, and that the problem will show. So um, we thought we would uh, talk about it. So the first scenario uh, we had was just basically a classroom in a hotel. So it was a big, big ballroom and we had a bunch of tables and chairs and uh, projector screen, podiums, you know, things like that all around. And then we had some other rooms. We had another big empty ballroom, but uh, one of them had two odors in it. Uh, one under a chair and one under um, the the riser that the screen was on, essentially. And they were about 35, 40 feet apart. And the handlers would allow the dog to go into the room, and, and many of them would find uh, one of them on their own quite easily. Uh, but when the handlers would first walk in the room, they'd cut the dog off lead and stand in the doorway. So these were, I think most of them were dual-purpose dogs. And they would stand in the doorway a good 85 feet, 90 feet from where the first hide they would likely encounter. And um, many times throughout the dog roaming around the room hunting for target odor, you couldn't see the dog at all. Um, and our question was, you know, why are you staying back here? You know, why are you, you know, not being involved? And and again, it was, hey, they told us to just not, you know, not get involved in the search. But, but standing back there, you really need to be able to see the behavior change. I mean, I think one of the things that we've learned over court cases and things recently is you want to see the behavior change. You want to say that you saw the behavior change. And you want to be able to see the reaction from the dog and know that it's just like it is when it's in training so that you can say that it's actually, you know, target owners. So we were... We're encouraging them to at least keep the dog in view and you know stay where where it needs to uh, where you need to see them at in some point so that you can see them looking around. When the dog would uh, not detect odor um, in any way, um, we would see the handler basically stand there for an extended period of time. So, and I think you had one that uh, what probably ten minutes or twelve minutes in a room that should take about four or five. Yeah, the, the, the room was maybe six feet by 15 feet with a variety of shelves at different levels. No more, none of them extending above five feet. And in this particular incident, but I have also seen this, you know, several times elsewhere in seminars. It seems to be a recurring theme, which is why we're having this conversation. They just cut the dog loose. And the dog just wanders aimlessly till it stumbles across odor. But if it doesn't, they're just standing there and not making a fine and we're talking seven to ten grams of meth underneath the cardboard box on a shelf um not a very difficult fine but you needed to be able to direct the dog to productive areas and our conversation was that there seemed to be a lack of involvement from the handlers and i'm not sure if that's coming from some recent studies that have been controversial or a lot of the science that's coming out that says back off stay out of it and that's all well and good but at some point in time we're the thinking part of the equation and the dog, yes, the dog can learn through aid placement and repetition search pattern, but the dog doesn't necessarily understand what a productive area is. And that's where the human comes from. And it seems like we're taking the people out of the equation a little bit much and not focusing on family skills. Right. And, and by staying out of it, it seems as though they didn't know when to stop. You know, it was as if, uh, you know, they, they would go through a six foot by 15 foot area for 12, 15 minutes and then the dog wouldn't, wasn't finding the target odor that was there. It was there, but the dog wasn't detecting or reacting to it. And uh, the handler just stayed there. And, and that's fine. 
you know, if you want to give it more time and the dog can work that amount of time, there's nothing wrong with staying there and doing it. But at some point you have to make a decision, either you got it or you don't got it. And, you know, we were confused as to whether it's, um, they think the dog needs more time to, to find it, which is possible, I suppose. Um, but are they then just being told, okay, you cleared it all in previous training and good, you're done. And they're being told when they're done or, you know, are they making the decision on their own based on the dog's behavior and their training that the dog has covered everything and, and now has just completed it? So did these dogs show much of a pattern when they were off lead or were they, were they you know, just kind of checking, checking the middle of the room and missing the corners like a lot of dogs will do off lead? Or did they show, were they very thorough in their, their off lead search? No, and it was, it was pretty random. You know, they just bounce around randomly and, the times that I've seen this happen, and I've seen this quite frequently, um, that the dog's needs to be directed high when it goes low on its own or it goes high on its own and it doesn't necessarily go low on its own and the dog can't access the odor. And if the dog can't access the odor on its own, then we need to have some type of influence in directing the dog where he can go. Um, you know, we're not talking, certainly not advocating every six inches and we make the dogs uh, a little robotic machine that follows us because then we're not taking advantage of his natural abilities but we can't just on the other hand you can't just be completely removed from the scenario no you need to have a nice mix you need to have a nice mix of the dog's ability to do it on his own and when needed at the appropriate time when the situation and environment you know calls for it you need to be able to get in and, and direct the dog into the right locations to be able to be sure the dog has smelled in those locations and whether or not, you know, substance is there or not and uh, move on, you know. And that doesn't necessarily mean on. they have to leash the dog up. It might just mean walk it over and, you know, with their hand present in some areas. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, we've all found, you know, on search warrants, I'm sure drugs and coats and shirts and it's hanging in closets and a lot of times that's an area where you have to get the dog up to in between those hanging clothes to find the money to find narcotics they don't necessarily perceive that as a place to be because they're above their heads and if you don't train hanging clothes regularly or you don't um have the wherewithal to direct the dog to search those areas you're going to miss it um andy you know i've certainly done this andy i'm sure you can address this in greater detail since you run a money dog and you're in a narcotics unit yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, when you get a three-bedroom, two-bath house that has, you know, everyone's um, stuff in it for the last 20 years stored inside of it, you've got to go find it. The ability to do it uh, just off-lead where the dog just does it completely on his own is just not real. I mean, is it possible for the dog to find that? Sure. It's absolutely possible for the dog to find the others. But is it also possible very possible for them to miss and uh you know for us we want to find everything that's in there because you know the amount impacts the charges whether the money we find is you know viable to our departments for forfeiture reasons and things like that so you really you really want to make sure you get it all and um you know hunting that through and multiple odors in in the same room um you know we had that incident and in our training scenario one of them we had more than one odor in the room and was problematic for the handlers is when the dog found the first one, they would reward the dog, tell the dog to search again. The dog would roam for a period of time, some longer than others, and then it would go right back to the first one. Nothing wrong with that. It's expected. The dog knows he's going to get paid. He knows that's the owner, and he knows where that's actually just been paid for uh, at that, that location. But it was practically impossible 
with a handler to get the dog to come off because each time the dog went back there and was rewarded or praised off, uh, the dog hunt hunted less and less sure. around the kept wanting to go back. Room. Yeah, because he kept wanting to go back. And, and then the handler had to get involved. So then we see the handler get involved, and what's the first thing they're going to do to get involved? Put the dog on. Yeah. Right? So now the dog is very much under the control of the handler. So now now we have something that we can the handler can influence, uh, you know, because the dog's on leash. And now they have to have practiced this very well to do it where they don't influence the dog. And uh, unfortunately, many of them didn't, and they didn't perform very well. So... You know, our thought was, you know, is are they afraid because of stories about influencing the dog that they're staying away from it, or, or is, is basic training just avoiding doing any handler skill portion of it because of that, or is training in their weekly training just come to the point where they just cut the dog off, lady finds it, they throw the toy because he found it, and then move on. And uh, we just thought it was something we should talk about. Yeah, it's not sure what the cause is, but it seems to be happening a lot as I travel across the country. Um, it's, and I'm not sure where, where it's coming from, whether it's a collision of science versus art of dog handling, um, because there is a skill set involved here. It's more complicated than just the dog knows odor. I send the dog, I wait till he gives me a response and I throw a toy or give him food or whatever. There has to be some involvement. You know, it seems like it's almost come full circle, Andy, because I think it's been 20 years ago that you and I first met, and you were here in in uh, my state doing a a seminar with the when you do it with the college. I had a a drug dog at the time, and I had been trained the way that we were doing it. You know, large in part uh, back then was remember the blocking on the cars and not letting the dog hardly move at all and checking every yeah. seam and going very slow. And I remember we were at a, a shopping mall upstairs in a closed. Uh, big box store and you guys had done a, a, a decent amount of, of dope in, in one area of this really, really huge area. And that time it was, we were practicing taking our dogs off lead because almost nobody at the time was taking their dogs off lead. And I remember um, I hadn't done it much before that, that seminar. And uh, I thought, well, this is pretty smart taking my dog off lead. And it almost seems like maybe that has just evolved into now the opposite problem of everybody's doing more off lead and when you're suggesting doing it, uh, you know, on lead with, you know, some direction, that's maybe a skill set that isn't being uh, taught as much as maybe it needs to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it, it just being overlooked. And you're right. Back then, we learned, you know, through the military, it was big on it. And a lot of uh, older schools, when I was going through, was big on blocking, you know. So, basically, the dog was completely controlled by the handler. You only smell where I tell you to smell. You only move as fast as I tell you to move, and you only go where I want you to go. And and uh, the dog was, you know, very much controlled by the handler. And our goal was to get the dog to kind of do it on his own a little more because we thought it would make it easier on the handler. If the dog was already going where the handler wanted him to go, let him go. And uh, but then that puts the stress on or the the responsibility rather on the handler to notice where he's been and where he hasn't been, and make sure you get him where he needs to be. And unfortunately, I think we're missing the dog when he's off lead, waiting for that behavior change and that final response, uh, and not really seeing, you know, where the dog hasn't been and where odor could be concealed, and kind of using, kind of using their head of, you know, where to smell and things like that. And again, I'm not saying this is everybody, and we're definitely not saying that 
that uh, cutting the dog off leave is a bad idea. It's actually a great idea. And uh, having the dog work on his own is actually a great idea. It's just, I think we have to have a nice mix of ability. So you can't forego the training and the ability of the handler to work with the, with the dog in lieu of just letting them go off lead all the time. And if you don't practice the one that you, maybe you don't use it very often. Maybe you don't get involved with the dog very much. But when you need to, if you haven't practiced it, it will be bad. Probably. And another thing that I hear you guys saying is that um, on some of these scenarios, people um, would just stand there and wait for their dog to find it. And what you were saying is, you know, like they didn't know when to call it. And that is indicative to me of maybe people aren't doing enough blanks because I mean I think once a room searched either he's got it or he doesn't and uh, I think a well-trained handler you know how, whether it's on lead off lead when he's convinced that the dog has searched the room should pretty easily be able to say well I'm you know I'm not getting anything so it must be a blank and I think uh, people struggle with that a lot of what we're getting was asking if they were done and you'd get the answer of I guess dog didn't show me anything. Okay, well, were you thorough, complete, and accurate, and where the dog needed to access? Um, I don't know. Well, this is a problem, uh, I think. Um, and again, it seems to be trending. It's not. It's not horrifically out of proportions. Um, it's not happening everywhere, but it's just something that made us think and go, "Huh, why is this happening?" Which is what brought about this conversation. Yeah, and I think you know, Ken. When we were going, you know, Canada, I went through Canada, and I think Ken, you know that as well. And, and back then, we were learning much more to work with the dog. We did do it off lead, but we had a lot of practice with working with the dog, and we worked on some things called pattern, pace, and presentation. You know, and when it comes to calling a blank, it, uh, the pattern was nothing more than making sure you covered everything. Uh, it really didn't matter what pattern you used, as long as covered everything you know mm -hmm. you, you were everywhere and it was so much easier to work a pattern in a room you know not specific but just something general that you did every time so that you knew when you got to the end of it you pretty much did everything you put them everywhere you could at least reasonably could and if you didn't get anything it was much easier to call it a blank and say you were done um when you let the dog go off lead and he goes on his own and you stand there and never get involved um are you confident you put him everything? And it makes it a lot harder, in my opinion, to say, yeah, this room is absolutely fine. Yep. And not rec some people are not recognizing productive areas, um, you know, not going behind objects, under objects, on top on objects, and just not seeing. Just instead of just watching the dog, being able to actually read the room and think, huh, where would stuff be hidden and where do I need to get the dog to so that he can access odor in the fastest manner possible? That's the yeah. goal of a pattern. Absolutely. I, I think that's I think that's really the, the crux of what we saw was basically, you know, handlers not getting uh, uh, not being involved at the right times uh, when it was necessary. And uh, and when it was needed, they just didn't seem to know what to do or how to do it when they needed to get involved. And, and we were just concerned that it's becoming a, a bigger trend that we thought maybe we should talk about and get people. And do you think, uh, again, you, you and I, Andy, we've talked about this a little bit. Do you think maybe another, you know, part of this equation and what I see sometimes is that um, when it comes to training, you know, if for, when I'm doing training and I'm setting up training, you know, whether it's somebody's doing it for me or my own dog or even if I'm putting hides out, 
for my own dogs. Um, if there's a time where my dog does not get the odor, I don't worry about it. I mean, I, I think I, I want to be pushing the envelope enough that I see where the limitations are. Is it too high or is it too small an odor or is, have I done something so I can, so I can start to see where do I need to challenge them? But what you see a lot of times, or at least what I see a lot of times is um, when people, especially for the drug dogs, they want to make sure they have the good training records. So they want to get their odors out. They want to document that their dog found just those odors, nothing else. So the, the quality of the training, I think sometimes is lacking because they're looking for the, the piece of paper to show they trained that night as opposed to here's a really hard scenario where it's really difficult. And if I run 10 dogs on this particular hide, no matter what type of detector dog it is, out of the 10, maybe two are going to get it, maybe one will halfway get it, and some are never going to get it. It's not going to trip their trigger. But then we can sit back and talk about where what the odor was doing, what did you get out of your dog, how could you present it. But I like the idea sometimes of doing some really difficult, very hard hides as a training way just to uh you know kind of kind of make us all better but what i see sometimes in even my own training group when i when i've set those up i get some some people who aren't too happy then because they think that somehow um you know that their their dog got gypped or it's going to break their dog you know and i tell them if your dog didn't get the odor and you left he's not out anything you know let's figure out how to get him in the odor but um i think you and i've talked about that that problem a little bit having not having Training direction oriented training rather than just hey we got to get some motor in we're just gonna throw some hides out real quick and so my training records look good and then you're talking about the fear of failure in a training record. Um, are we increasing too many variables at one time? Are we paying attention to as we increase height? We need to increase substance, you know, increase amount, and you can't just change a whole bunch of variables at once. This, yeah, there, there's a whole other set of topics there going off into the legal aspects of it and everything. Yeah. Oh, so the example you gave uh, really shows that there's more to handler, more to training than just whether the dog finds the odor or not. There's a lot to training the handler, and uh, the examples really show whether or not uh, the handler is getting a well-rounded training. Um, we don't want to fall back to the point where it's all on the dog. Uh, we are a team, and the handler has to know where to put the dog and how to read the room and how to read odor flow in the room and where areas would be that the dog may need to get to on top of things or under things or in deep corners or whatever. Use your imagination that the dog would need to get to to be sure that he's uh, able to pick up odor if, if it's there. And and I think that, that ties into what we're talking about here is a lack of focus on the handler training, um, the handler learning how to, how to you know, apply the dog in the scenario that you're in, in the environment you're in, and, and where, where to focus the dog's attention on while you're working them sure and uh, and challenge, you know, challenge challenge the teams you know and 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 as a as a handler you should I, I relish when when i get a really tough hide and if i've searched something and, and i know there is a hide in there and i just can't figure it out i'm not going to give it to the dog i'll walk out and then maybe kind of look around the room figure out did i not get it or talk about it but i mean we should we should embrace those times when uh, in training when things are getting a little bit harder um we all have hides that we do at seminars that people go, oh, my God, I never thought I could find dope there. People could hide dope there. And they were based on places where we actually found dope in real life. And this is where I think experience comes in, being someone who teaches you deployment of a dog who's actually deployed a dog. Um, and I don't know if you want to open the ant worms because that's going to make people's heads explode. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... 
it i mean it, there it there's a there's a balance there you know obviously that um you know sometimes when you when you're lucky enough to do it out on the street but i think you know obviously people who aren't uh out on the street you know if they if they're paying attention to where the hides are you know they can set those up but i think in my opinion i think sometimes uh you know those hides when they're when you find a difficult hide on the street and then you replicate in training when you really look back it's you you haven't done it in training because i think a lot of times um it's just hide and seek in training and it's not really the i really want to push the envelope i i agree i i think that uh many times we need to evaluate you know the the handler's ability to read the dog's behavior change you know i see many times a a dog reacts or has has a behavior change in an environment but doesn't track right to the source and for various reasons it's uh, in and out of the scent cone uh, the handler has some influence over them all kinds of things it's uh i think it just there needs to be focused back on, on training the handler and uh, the ability of the handler to to read things like the behavior change you know i've seen handlers in different scenarios we put out where the dog has a behavior change and of course it's easy for us to know where the other's at to see it and of course when you stand back you can see it a lot easier than if you run on top of the dog but they they miss it or they see it and they don't react to it they don't think about it they they expect either the dog to track right back to it which is possible and uh they don't try and figure out, well, maybe the dog was in the scent cone for a brief second and now is out of it because the scent cone is elevated or they moved out of it because the odor is blowing high rather than low and they only caught it for a second when their head was up. And, you know, trying to then read the room based on the behavior and put the dog in the right spot to be able to see if the dog detects it. And I, I think that's all part of training and needs to be challenged. And as you said, challenge the handler, challenge the team. And and uh you know improve upon it and set up scenarios to improve upon it not just for the dog but for the handler as well you know so where that happens in the dog and the handler has to read it and, and then work with the dog in the room you know to find the odor so i i just think uh and i think ken agrees we when we saw it it seemed like um at least with the few seminars we've seen it at the trend was the dog works completely alone. And if he finds it, he finds it. If he doesn't, he does. Yeah. So I guess just to bring it full circle, it's just it, uh, most of it is just challenge your training. So if, if you're listening to this and you realize you haven't done any on lead searches or it's been a while since you've done on lead search, you know, set some of those up, vice versa. If you're, you know, and, and you need to be well rounded and make sure in the end it's about what you had mentioned. It's about, you know, having a proper pattern where you're presenting all the areas. And then you should be confident enough in your dog that if, if you've presented everything in the room and you've done it at the right pace and you've got the right pattern, then either he hit it or he didn't. And there's a big part of uh, handling skills, handler skills that you not need to know how to do to not influence your dog if that's your fear. Um, yep. And you need to learn those and then exactly. practice them and be very good at them uh, exactly. so that you can, you can not influence your dog in real life and train like you do in real life. I mean, I went to a seminar not too long ago where we were doing cars and uh, this, the area we were in was perfectly safe. It was a fenced in, not an impound yard, but more of a rental car kind of a thing. And there's nobody moving around and, you know, just us in there and they've got five cars and, uh, you know, not lined up really, but in general area. And the f nine out of 10 people came in and cut the dog off late. Nothing wrong with it. The dogs yeah. searched, glued to the cars searched around the cars beautifully 
and yeah. found everything. There was absolutely no trouble. The dogs did fantastic. But I guess my question was, where do you normally group the car? On the yeah, they're not going to do that on the highway. Yeah, and if you train that way and you don't work that way, yep. how do you expect the dog to perform perfectly yep. on the street if you train almost not the opposite, but just not exactly the same. And uh, it seems like that's that's something people may be missing. Yep, I that, agree. Uh, you really got to work it like you do on the street so that, you know, everything flows together, at I least agree. as best you can. Yeah, it's different. You can't just cut them loose all the time and suddenly on the street, every time you're searching a car, you've got to put him on a leash. You don't know how to work him life on a leash and he doesn't understand and you're dragging or pulling and then we're talking handle with one. Sure. Sure. But... And situationally to the dog, um, you know, if they come out of the car off lead and training every day and find it every time at training, because there's always dope out, absolutely the dog's going to hunt like a maniac. And then they come out of the car in real life deployment on lead, and it's not the same environment, not the same type of deployment as they do in training, they may come out not interested. Absolutely. You know, wanting to reward themselves by barking at somebody or chasing down some other rotors or something like that so it, it, it bleeds way over <laughs> yep yep exactly yep. these are all good discussions and uh as i always say there's a good place you can uh hang out at night in the evening uh and have some more discussions and that's at hits uh unfortunately we had to move hits from uh, august this year it's going to be in july of next year so uh hits 2021 now will be in uh, july of next year same hotel everything else is the same just because of the the pandemic and all the stuff going on in the world, we need to move it out a little bit. Um, but this is the type of uh, discussions that if you're a, a detector dog handler and you like learning about detector dog things, there's going to be lots and lots of instructors there, a lot of handlers there, a lot of ways to bounce ideas off. So um, if you're interested in HITS 2021, go to hitsk9.net and uh, you'll see Andy and Ken will both be there. It'd be a good time. Uh, you guys, I know Ken, you guys are, are always there. Andy, you'll be teaching some classes there as well. Yeah, we'll be teaching one uh, about this. Uh, this will be one piece of it, but it'll have a bunch of other parts to it. Uh, something new that we're just creating to try and, uh, you know, get uh, some different instruction out there. Yeah. Kind of we'll cool. be there. And like, like you said, Jeff, you know, the networking opportunities to interact with other people, I think, is the main benefit of going to Hits, which is why we're always been there. Absolutely. So I'll put uh, both uh, Andy and uh, Ken's contact information in the show notes here. If you have any uh, questions about this show or any feedback or follow-up questions for, for these two detector dog experts, just uh, email me at jeff at hitsk9.net and I will uh, pass them along and it uh, very likely could be just a follow-up show to, to this discussion. So hopefully, uh, you know, this, this show is a good reminder to kind of get back to some basics every once in a while and uh, change up your training a little bit. So uh, hitsk9.net for uh, the information about hits. And everybody, I appreciate you guys listening and stay safe out there. Andy and uh, Ken, thanks for jumping on today. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Good to talk to you guys. Everybody stay safe. Nice talking to you both. Take care. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come to Hits 2021. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come to HITS 2021 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2021 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffles and gifts and free cash than ever before. 
Hits is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there and we've been there too.